Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. We're here with episode 13 as developments continue to happen in the search for justice for Tara Baker. Thanks for tuning in. I must admit, this week has been a little hard. Not only is sometimes gathering information and speaking to sources a little taxing, but making sure everything is appropriately timed and released in a way that will enable me to talk with certain individuals presents its challenges. I know that you are eager to learn. I am so eager to share, but we must do it in the right time. I've told you before that I record on Wednesday before Thursday's episode release, and that is still true. This is a real-time investigation, and you all hold the key. Continue to speak out no matter the time, because I am here to hear you out and to help you help me complete this two-decades-long puzzle. Between the information I've shared with you over the last 13 weeks now, wow, that's crazy to think about, and the loads of information that we have still to come, I believe that we are very close to finding the truth, which has, as you know, been long overdue. So let's start out this week with answering some more listener questions. And before we get into the thick of new information that we have learned, I'm grateful for all of you who continue to follow along and interact with us online, on our tip line, or by email. It's been remarkable to see your response, to see your thoughts as they come out, and to see your back and forth with one another. Make sure, though, to always keep it respectful. I'm going to bring back our wonderful co-producer, Kyle, who's going to ask me about some of your questions. Hello, everybody. Good to be back, and thanks for listening in. All right, Cam, here are some listener-submitted questions for this week. All right. Brandy has two questions. The first question, why is there so much dispute about DNA evidence, and what have you uncovered? I think there's a lot of dispute about that because of, um, you know, 2001 was a very early year in regards to DNA investigations and where the technology was at the time. I will let people listening know that I spoke to a source very close to the investigation this week who tells me exclusively that there was no DNA evidence recovered from the scene due to the water damage, the fire damage, and the smoke damage. Question number two. Do we know Tara's estimated time of death? It's estimated that Tara died around 7.45 a.m. based on police investigations. Um, They say that she might have been getting ready for class when she was attacked. Um, So I would say very early in the morning. Number three. Tanner asks, why wasn't the car processed? Good question. I do not know the answer to that. I do know that it wasn't processed, and um, I wonder if it could have something to do with the fact that it was a wet, rainy day. I really don't know the answer to that. Um, I'll try to find out. Question number four. Francis and Joanne asked about fingerprints from both the scene and other crimes in Deer Park. Was there a connection? I have not been able to establish that a connection was made from any of the sources close to the investigation that I have talked to. I would be interested to know if they were ever compared, so uh, good question, Francis and Joanne. Maybe we'll hear on that soon. Question number five. A big question here from Claire and several others. Have you been able to talk to the ex-wives of potential suspect number three, the lawyer? Well, good question. Kyle, as you know, this is something that I've been trying to do for quite some time, but it is very hard, as all of you can imagine, to reach out to people, number one, so randomly, and number two, about something so sensitive, you know. So 
it's been very difficult to get them to interact with me. That being said, some of them did get a letter in the mail this week, uh, and I'm looking forward to talking to them soon. I think they could hold the key in ruling out or implicating uh, possible suspect number three. Number six. Can you explain to us again who the aunt was and how you think he is connected to the case, if at all? Yes, a lot of people did reach out and ask about clarification on this. Number one, the aunt as a name is short for the name Anthony. It is not in relation to a family member or anything like that. Secondly, I do not believe that the aunt killed Tara Louise Baker at this time, and here's why. I've spoken to several people who supposedly heard of him talking about the crime and his involvement and police, and they've all said to me the same thing, that his definition of and description of the crime scene and what happened to Tara simply does not match. That being said, I do believe he could have had access to or been given the laptop, and it's something that we're continuing to dig into every single day. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. Now, thanks again to all of you for submitting your questions, and remember, we always try to answer them, whether online or right here on the podcast. Be sure to reach out anytime, classiccitycrime at gmail.com. Never be afraid to let us know what's on your mind, to get clarification, or to just interject your thoughts. Now, I want us to revisit some of the information regarding one of our persons of interest, the attorney. I've spent the week talking to more former employees of Fortson, Bentley, and Griffin, the law firm where Tara and the attorney worked, to better understand the information that we learned last week. And there are several things that I want to clarify after speaking with some people. Number one, I do believe Fortson, Bentley, and Griffin to be an upstanding law firm. I don't personally believe that as it relates to Tara's case, there was any nefarious thing going on. And I don't think that it was necessarily odd, now that I think about it, that they were informed that Tara could be the person in the fire on Fawn Drive. I mean, after all, they were trying to locate all of the roommates. A few original sources reached back out and wanted me to share this with you. They do not believe the firm to be suspicious one bit. But they do believe the attorney is. In fact, I have two new interviews to bring to you this week. We've learned from and heard from people who worked down the hall with him, down the stairs from him. But what about the women who worked directly with him, his secretaries? What do they remember? They're here to discuss what they remember and what they know. And now that we've looked at four possible persons of interest, the classmate, the boyfriend, the attorney, and the maintenance man, which, by the way, we will be revisiting soon, I believe it's very important for us once again to visit the psychology behind each of them and about all the possible theories. This is episode 13. Welcome, welcome. I'm Cameron J. Alright, this week I have to tell you about my friends over at Potted Perfections Ornamental Gardens and Exterior Design. If you know me, you know I'm a sucker for good design, and that's exactly what you'll find here. They were founded in 2010 in East Cobb, Georgia, and originate from Athens. And they also serve clients right here in the classic city. The scope of their work has evolved from custom planters to complete exterior design and ornamental gardens, including installation. Don't just take it from me, though. Here's what one of their clients had to say. Brilliant designer with the ability to connect with whatever fashion fits the homeowner. Give Jenny a call today or schedule your consultation with Fall right around the corner. 770-820-2011 or find them on Facebook at Potted Perfections. All right, thanks again for tuning in. We have a lot to cover. 
To remind you, the attorney worked in the litigation department at Fortson Bentley and Griffin Law Firm on College Avenue back in 2001. He graduated from the University of Virginia School of Law, went to King and Spalding, a firm in Atlanta, and then somehow ended up in Athens at Fortson Bentley and Griffin. Now, he was much younger than his fellow attorneys, only a few years older than Tara and her dear friend from the firm, Lauren. This week, I got to chat with not only one, but two of his secretaries from the time, and I wanted to know what they remember about his character, his job performance, and if, yes, they remember anything specifically about him around the time Tara was killed. They have a lot of information to share, and since they are the two people who really worked closest with him, I think it's important for you to listen in to find out what they have to say 20 years later about the attorney who they worked with and our possible suspect number three. Tell me about when you started working for the firm and what your job was. Okay, I started in uh, 1996. Mm-hmm. I was actually sitting across from where Tara was mm-hmm. for a little while. For some reason, I was in the actually sitting in the real estate department, but I was litigation. And then later, they kind of did a reshuffle, and I ended up going upstairs onto the second floor mm-hmm. and uh where i was my desk was in a cubicle when you were coming down the hall there was my desk and then another cubicle right beside me mm-hmm. and then on the other side of the hall there were two attorney offices and uh, at the time and then the next attorney office was what we called i helped him with a lot of his stuff that he did of course he did a lot of his own work Mm -hmm. you know I mean like typing briefs and and whatnot but I did help him with a lot of things I did a lot of copying for him and since I'm a little older I kind of mothered him because he always seemed like he was kind of a lost puppy and I kind (laughs) of helped him look a little better because a lot of times he would he would look rumpled and disheveled Mm -hmm. and like his uh, sport coat, he would, had had a rip in it. And I went like, you can't go to court looking like that. <laughs> Hand it over. I've got needle and thread here. Let me fix that. So I, I was always doing mending of his ragtag clothes <laughs> and stuff like that. I was, let's see, I stayed downtown until, you know, we moved the office out in Oconee County. So we moved out there mm-hmm. on my 10th anniversary with the firm. Do you remember anything about him and Tara's relationship? Yes, they were they were quite friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the day that she came in on that Thursday before the infamous Friday, and they were in his office, and the door was shut. I didn't see her go in there because I'd been away from my desk or whatever, so I came back. But um, I heard her laugh, and she had the most distinctive, magical laugh. So I went, oh, well, Tara's in there. I can hear her. And see, she wasn't working with us at that time. She she was in law school, so she had quit her job with us. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw we saw her come out, and we you know, spoke. She was always so sweet. You know, she was just the nicest person. And I always really, well, she was like, let's see, and age-wise, she was between my oldest daughter and my middle daughter. My oldest daughter was born in 74 And my middle daughter was born in 79, so she was born in 77, so she was like right in between the age. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of always, I told her she, you know, she could be my ex, I could be her office mom, and (laughs) and she could be my office daughter. (laughs) We all need an office mom. 
Oh yeah, everybody was homeless. <laughs> um, well, do you remember anything about that Friday? Um, were you still sitting outside of his office that day? Do you remember if he came in, if he was late? If, I know it's been a long time too. That's I the, know, that's yeah, and I part. really don't remember the the whole details of that day. Mm-hmm. But I re- I do remember that there was a lot of closed doors in the attorney's offices, mm-hmm. and that there was a lot of closed door meetings that day and mm. and uh my my cubby made over there and she and i were going what's going on what's happening you know we just couldn't figure out what's going on mm-hmm. and at the time so that was 2001 my mother passed away in october of 2000 and my husband and i decided to move in with my dad for a little while until he kind of transitioned through some of that mm-hmm. and we were there to help him you know with with her things and all that stuff so we were at my dad's house and that evening and the office manager called me and told me Mm -hmm. what had happened and we we were just in absolute disbelief and horror you know that something like that could have happened and um and then i remember going to her funeral over in uh Clayton County. We all kind of drove the caravan. And um, I remember how packed that church was. And it was a huge church. I mean, it, it was like standing room only. Mm-hmm. It was so full. And everybody loved her. That's, you know, and then we actually went, even went to the cemetery, which was, I don't know, probably a 30, 45 minute drive from the church. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was very emotional day and very, you know, everybody was just, in, you know, just numb. You know, all this happened. There's somebody so young and vibrant and beautiful and precious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did anyone start whispering around the firm after her death about what could have happened? And what did those conversations sound like, if so? Well, we didn't really have any clues, at, you know, about what had happened. But we all got, you know, it was all kind of weird when left mm-hmm. and just you know no fanfare he didn't tell any of us goodbye that he was leaving or any of that he was just gone and i do remember the day that the police came in and took his computer mm-hmm. for you know investigative purposes i'm sure mm-hmm. um and we were that kind of made us start scratching our heads a little bit going like what's up all this right but we didn't have you know we didn't really have information because they weren't going to tell us anything. Yeah. We just, you know, that, you know, we just... And did you notice any odd behavior from him after her death? A lot of closed door in his office. Yeah. I mean, it's like he didn't want to talk to anybody at all. So when he came in, he would just go on in his office and close the door. Did you notice to have affairs with a lot of women? I never knew that. Okay. Until, and all this was uncovered. I had no idea. No, I did not know that. All right. We thought it was like a crush on Tara because we knew that he would smile at her and all that stuff, you know, a big, and he wanted to do anything that he could to help her and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't, I didn't ever think anything much about that. Sure. It was, you know, I, I'm an optimist and I always try to see the good people. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just the, you know, I never want to see the evil. Right. I don't want to say that. I, I assume everybody's good until they prove they're not. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
They never interviewed me. They never looked at our computers or anything because we were just really peripheral, you know, mm-hmm. people. We weren't, you know, like in the middle of anything. Sure, so, sure. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't have any any reason to to do that. So I told you you'd be hearing from two of his secretaries, and that was the first and the second's coming up. But before she is introduced, I want to tell you one thing. I asked both of these women today, do you believe that he had something to do with Tara Baker's murder? They both responded, yes. One of them, yes, absolutely. Tell me this, did you ever note um, him having any problems with alcohol or drug abuse? Uh, alcohol, he would go out a lot. Yeah, I didn't know about drugs, but I suspected it mm-hmm. because he would come in. Um, like I said, he was always untimely about everything. Mm-hmm. He would always come in late, so I'm thinking, I, you know, and I thought maybe he's smoking some weed or. Yeah. I mean, I would never have thought of cocaine. Like, so I would have never thought that. That would even pass my mind. But when you, I think back now, I mean, well, maybe he was. Well, poked up on something right so, but i knew about the alcohol because he would drink excessively mm-hmm. oh yeah i know about that do you um do you remember the week of tara's death anything specific about him or her, the time that she came by that week i i was trying to think about that yesterday to be honest with you mm-hmm. and it seemed like a normal day it seemed everything was like on track because I, I think they were planning on going out and celebrating her birthday i you know i didn't go because i, I have a husband at home so mm-hmm. i didn't want to um and all her friends are so young anyway mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. but um i i think it was like a, a normal day everything was nothing stands out to be strange now mm-hmm. after she got murdered and we found out about it that whole probably month or six weeks after everything's like a fog right i mean it just I think everybody was in shock, mm. total shock at what had happened. But do um do you remember how he reacted to her death? I remember him being like jumpy or edgy, because he went to the. I'm almost positive he was there at the funeral, the church for the funeral, and then we went to the grave site. Mm-hmm. And I like edgy. That's the only thing I can think of. Is like yeah. I remember him seeing. I think I saw him there, and he was like edgy. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think anything i mean i just thought everybody was sad and upset because of what had happened to, to tara but i know he had a huge crush on her i mean it was i mean it was so evident every time he, she walked in the door passed him in the hallway or something his whole demeanor changed hmm. so, and he had a wife at home that's what I, I couldn't quite grasp yeah yeah it's definitely odd and i don't think tara was the first person his eyes were on that's for sure were you ever, first of all, were you ever questioned by police? No. Okay. And do you ever remember if you saw him or his office be occupied by police? No. I do remember the day that all this happened that Friday that there was a lot of closed doors, there were a lot of whispers, and I think it was the fire chief that was at our office, and we were kind of thinking, that's kind of weird, but we didn't have any idea what was going on. And I don't know if the police chief was there either but i remember the, i think it was the fire chief that was there because mm-hmm. we're all like weirded out by it thinking what's going on but there was a lot of closed doors a lot of whispers mm-hmm. that day that friday was was in that friday that you recall i don't remember seeing him in the morning i think he was in later that day but i only saw him briefly yeah i can't i mean it was just a sad time at the firm mm-hmm. 
when was it when was the moment for you when you were like oh gosh wow maybe he did have something to do with this do you remember what it was that you remembered or like when that moment happened for you it probably was about a year later to be honest with you because i i, I didn't want to go there i didn't want to think that somebody i knew could have killed somebody mm-hmm. and i i just things started like turning in my mind about um how he was always late for everything he um his attraction for tara how he was acting like um he was distant for a while i guess after all that happened too mm-hmm. Do you remember the circumstances or when he left or what the circumstances surrounding him leaving were? He, mm, something of, I think, I want to say that Kay had family up north or in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And that's why he said he had to leave. I found all of this to be interesting and more of a testament to our possible suspect number three's character, don't you? The call from his wife asking if he was there as he had not come home, the disheveled arrivals. You'll all recall other sources saying he was late to work on the Friday that the fire on Fawn Drive was discovered, and he appeared at the house of a co-worker that Saturday appearing disheveled, wide-eyed, possibly on drugs, and with reported scratches to his neck from a cat. As I told you earlier, we are still working to contact the wives of the attorney, and I will keep you updated on our social media accounts, so you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Classic City Crime. There is one detail about this I do want to let you in on, which I uncovered this week. A source close to the former investigation said to me that, to their knowledge, the wife of the attorney at the time of Tara's death was never interviewed. I find that to be a little uh, troubling, as, you know, she would be his alibi for the night Tara was murdered. She could have testified and given validity to the ownership of the cat and more. But then again, she wasn't interviewed, and neither were his secretaries. Now that we have a good idea of who each of these persons of interest were, I thought this would be the perfect time to bring back forensic psychologist Dr. Michael Parati. We've had to push our interview back, though. I'm so sorry until later Thursday afternoon due to an unusually packed Wednesday that delayed our talk time. So we'll be releasing a new episode extra, my favorite, to accompany episode 13 as soon as we get that interview wrapped up. See what I mean about real-time updates? Things really do not always go as planned. Now we do still have much more to discuss, particularly about one of our persons of interest. And like I've said, timing is everything, and thank you for your patience. I'm going to wait until the timing is right so that we don't jeopardize our investigation, the police investigation, or the chance of finding justice for Tara and and her family. An update really quick on the interview with the man in prison. Turns out getting an interview scheduled in the midst of a pandemic at a prison is not easy. Nevertheless, I am persisting and we are making progress. And just this week, we've uncovered video showing one of the four persons of interest pacing at the crime scene on the day of the fire. Which one was it? The classmate? The attorney? The maintenance man? Why were they there? What were they doing? And what does their body language displayed in the video have to say? You'll not only get to see this video, but you'll get to hear from one of the nation's top body language experts who happens to be one of my inspirations in all of this. Next time on Classic City Crime, I'm Cameron J. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J, and co-produced by Kyle Kazaya. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Classic City Crime. You can visit us on the web at ClassicCityCrime.com. For story tips, for information on the Tara Baker story, or to contact us, get in contact at ClassicCityCrime at 
gmail.com or you can always call our tip line 706-534-0025. See you next week.